We find it extraordinary that the Department of Corrections is to allocate only 174 places to prisoners on residential drug abuse programs, and we recommend the department substantially extends the provision of drug and alcohol education and criminogenic programs. It was just over a year ago that this report from the Ombudsman was released, revealing major gaps in New Zealand's prison system. It prompted the Department of Corrections to widen the scope of its rehabilitation programs, especially those relating to drug and alcohol abuse. So in October last year, it opened the country's third drug treatment unit, which also deals with prisoners who have alcohol addictions. Well, I've just arrived at Paparoa Prison on the outskirts of Christchurch. It's quite a dim setting. You drive up this long, winding drive from the main road and there's quite bare farmland on either side, the odd trees sprinkled here or there. You can see right out to the Port Hills in Christchurch. And as you drive up, you see the main headquarters of Paparoa Prison, quite a modern building, and it's surrounded by quite high security fences. So I'm just about to go inside and visit the drug treatment unit here. It's quite a spacious area, really. All the cells, obviously, in the, in the quadrangle. One to 60 with shower blocks in the middle, and all communal showers. But each cell has their own toilet. Colin Williamson is the manager of the drug treatment unit here and he shows me around the 60-bed unit, which is separated from the main prison by a series of gates and high fences. OK, so we're just coming into a cell here. So how big would they be, I suppose? A couple of metres by metre? Yeah, three metres by four metres, I suppose. In here they have their own bed, they have their own desk, sink and toilet, and, and that's virtually it. They're allowed to purchase their own TV, 14-inch TV. This is the dining room, and this is the communal room. They, everybody, every prisoner is expected to be here for breakfast and tea. That's what we call muster in here. They have to attend here, and they have to be marked off so we know where they are and, and get their meal. And they, in the morning they While I was visiting, the prisoners were in group therapy. Four classrooms for each of the courses, obviously each of the phases. They have a communal sort of area there for a cup of tea, for making coffee. It's similar to a classroom session with groups of 15, as Bruce Brown, the group's counsellor from Care NZ, explains. So we've just walked into one of the classrooms. That's one of four, is it? Yes, there are four classrooms in this unit. Yeah. And so we're looking here at a whiteboard, uh, a bit like a classroom whiteboard, I suppose, and there's sort of a, a timeline up here. Can you describe what this is used for? Well, we, we look at life in terms of a timeline and, and different stages that we go through in our life um, that come from psychology. And what we're doing is we're, we're looking at um, significant events that have happened um, in our life that might have contributed to the way us, we see ourselves in the world. And once we begin to identify some of these issues that these, some of these guys are still carrying around with them, it might have been abuse, it might have been families split up, it might have been a lot of violence, or you know, a lot of this stuff is, is brought into the rooms here, then we can actually start unpacking some of this and, and beginning to um, look at other ways of being able to cope with this stuff rather than using alcohol or drugs. The first group to go through the drug treatment unit in Christchurch graduates from the 24-week course next month. 
Of the 15 that were first admitted to the initial group, 11 prisoners remain after the others were removed for using drugs. While drugs and alcohol are classed as contraband, it's well known that drugs especially are smuggled into prisons. Just this week, further claims of prison officers smuggling contraband to inmates at Rimataka Prison have emerged during an external investigation commissioned by the Corrections Department. So if the inmates in these drug treatment units are found with drugs or have a relapse, thus stood down. Bruce Brown. So far we've had very few people who have actually relapsed and uh, those that have, uh, we've put them out of the unit, we've developed a new contract with them and then we monitor them pretty closely when they come back. And then the guys in the unit challenge that behaviour. Jeff is one of the remaining prisoners in the first group. He's been fighting his morphine and heroin addiction for about 18 years. Addiction's pretty powerful. Jeff's been in and out of prison during his addiction. This time he's in for fraud. I asked him if he thought the drug treatment unit was a success. Not so much successful, but growing. Chance to grow, yeah, chance to look at things differently. More of a chance to have the support of others. I guess we're still in jail. There's a lot of trust stuff there. So I guess we don't open up fully, but um, we can work on things that we feel safe working on. So you're not mixing with others who aren't in this kind of program then? And that makes it easier, does it? Yeah. Well, it does, yeah, if everyone's on the same kind of wavelength, yeah. How does it make it hard when there's other people who are not in a program like this? Well, I guess there's no support and that's still in the jail mentality way of uh, doing things. There are two more drug treatment units around the country in Waikaria Prison and in Arahata Women's Prison in Wellington. But numbers of inmates attending those units have been falling steadily, one reason being a lack of capacity as units were transferred to different premises. In 2002, 242 inmates went through the units, but in the last financial year that number was just 113. Question number five, Simon Powell. Thank you, Madam Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Corrections and asks, does he have confidence in his department, and if so, why? Madam Speaker. The Honourable Damien O'Connor. Madam Speaker, yes, uh, but there's always room for improvement. The issue of drug and alcohol rehabilitation programmes for prisoners has become somewhat of a political football since the Ombudsman's report. The government says it is committed to opening another three drug treatment units within 18 months, taking the total number to six nationwide out of a total of 20 prisons. Corrections Minister Damien O'Connor. I believe that every new prison should have a drug and alcohol unit, given the clear evidence that alcohol and drug use and abuse play such a large part in criminal offending um, through, through the country and indeed internationally. Can you tell us then where those extra three units are going to be? Well, we'll have uh, one in Hawke's Bay, one will be opened in Rimataka, another very large prison here in Lower North Island, and then of course Spring Hill. So with those three new units opened and the three existing units, we'll be able to give uh, intensive drug and alcohol treatment to over 550 prisons per year. The government has also reviewed its other, less intensive rehabilitation programmes after hefty criticism last year. It was revealed then that prisoners on the 100-hour programmes were more likely to re-offend than those who hadn't taken part. We reviewed those programmes and identified that they weren't working 
and we've changed them, revamped them all. They will be 150-hour programs. There will be more time in those programs focused on drug and alcohol. But again, the treatment may not be enough to deal with many of their issues, but it might alert them to the fact that they need help, they need to help themselves, and in fact, with the provision of new drug and alcohol units in the prisons, uh, the pathway is there for them. The programs don't just deal with drug and alcohol addiction, but a whole range of issues, including relationship skills and criminal attitudes. They've been rebranded as medium intensity rehabilitation programs and will now be just under 140 hours long. By next year, around 420 prisoners are expected to start the course. So will this multitude of changes by the Department of Corrections actually help prisoners with addiction problems? It's not really going to touch the sides of the whole problem. John Whitty is the National Director of the Prisoner Aid Rehabilitation Society. The organisation sees hundreds of inmates leaving prison struggling to manage their alcohol or drug addiction. He says often short-term or remand prisoners miss out on intensive drug treatment courses, leaving them to be recycled through the prison system. Mr Whitty says the entire prison environment needs to be changed and even more units established. If you've got more work, if you've got more programmes, if you've got more education, and I think we need to change our prisons because there's a lot of downtime for prisoners. They've got nothing to do a lot of the time. And if I was in prison and there was nothing to do, I'd probably turn to drugs for my kicks. Good afternoon, the Salvation Army headquarters. The Salvation Army has been treating people with addiction problems for more than 100 years. Its bridge program is often taken up by those people who are just out of prison, and the number of people wanting to get into this program is growing significantly. Major Campbell Roberts says that's because addiction treatment inside prison has a poor record. So we put them in prison for five or six years, we do nothing about that addiction, and then we release them into the community and expect that actually they're going to operate in a, another way. I mean, we've just got to wake up to the fact that that is not going to happen and that unless we're going to get serious about putting in real addiction treatment that has actually enabled people to deal with their addictions, that we are going to keep recycling people in and out, in and out of prison. Campbell Roberts says the plans to expand the drug treatment units in New Zealand prisons is the right move. But it's still very small, really, when you consider the extent that addiction is a problem within those who are jailed in New Zealand. Very high levels of people are actually affected by the use of alcohol and drugs. So we do need to deal with those addictions. And I just think there is a need for a lot more programs, both within the prison system and as people are coming out of the prison system as well. There's a current waiting list of nearly 350 prisoners seeking intensive addiction treatment and so far only 220 beds available every year. But the National Party's Law and Order spokesperson, Simon Power, says even with the extension to 550 beds in drug treatment units nationwide, it's still full short of what's needed. If they get to that number, and I'll be monitoring that very carefully out of a prison population of 7,600, doesn't really put a dent in the problem. Remember, this is a department that's prepared to spend $11 million landscaping for new prisons, money that would be far better spent going into drug and alcohol 
uh, rehabilitation courses for inmates and for work schemes for inmates so that when they come out of prison, they are less likely to commit crime again. Not allowed to do hobbies in their cells. Any tools that have, they purchase themselves. And we the drug treatment units, like the one in Christchurch, cost about half a million dollars a year to run. Tim Harding, the chief executive of Care NZ, which has a contract to run the units, says they're hugely cost-effective. If you average it out, for every dollar spent on addiction treatment, the community saves $7, and that's including the people who don't change their lives. Tim Harding says even if an offender does re-offend, it's often of a lesser magnitude and therefore less costly to society. To get into a drug treatment unit, offenders must pass a criteria, which includes being at high risk of re-offending and having enough time in their sentence to complete the 24-week programme. That means offenders who are in prison for a shorter time and who are less likely to re-offend miss out. Offenders in the unit must also want to seek help for their addiction. Colin Williamson from the Drug Treatment Unit in Christchurch says that's important. Some people do meet the criteria but aren't motivated to address their offending. But the door's not shut for them either. The programme will still stay in their plan and then depending on their length of sentence it's up to us as prison staff to try and motivate them to change their motivation, if you like, so that they're willing to address their offending. But the director of the National Addiction Centre at the University of Otago, Dr Doug Salmon, is not so convinced. The numbers of people in prison with addiction-related problems is huge and the number of places in the therapeutic programs, at the moment at least, are quite small. Should there be a system to try and help those people who may not at the start want to do these programs? Most people with severe addiction of one form or another, part of the disease of addiction is a denial of the problem. And many people with addiction also feel incredibly demoralised and overwhelmed, overcome by the problem so that they don't see any hope in gaining help. So just saying that uh, we will only treat people who seem motivated uh, might be a good place to start, but it's excluding a lot of people who could nevertheless benefit from help. But well-known criminologist Greg Newbold from Canterbury University says many inmates know they'll be released early on parole if they sign up to the courses. If someone's doing a program because they want to get out of jail, well then you might as well not have the program. If they're doing the program because they want to stay out of jail, well then that's a different matter. But if you offer an early release incentive to an inmate to do a program, then you're going to get people engaging in programs for the wrong reasons. And in that case, you're wasting your time. And Greg Newbold, who spent time in prison for selling heroin back in the 70s, says it's very difficult to give up drugs inside jail in the first place. If you have a snort of amphetamine or an acid trip or whatever it is you have in jail, we look at it as a day's parole that they didn't know about. You know, I mean, it's like a day out for us, or it was you know, for us when I was in jail. And so there's a strong incentive to use drugs, and if you don't want to use drugs or you're trying to give up an addiction, it's pretty hard, but then it's pretty hard to resist when you're in a slammer, a, a day's parole that they didn't know about. Most people will, will take the opportunity if they can, if there isn't a significant incentive or a punishment for them not to do so. But Tim Harding from Care NZ disagrees, saying the unit will help the prisoners despite their original motivation. You may say that they need to want to change. Well, actually, a lot of them come into the unit for a variety of reasons, you know. Some of them come in because they think it's going to be better for the parole board. Some come in because they think it's going to be cushy. <laughs> Some of them come in because they think 
uh, apparently, you know, oh, well, if all the drug users are in one place, there'll be more drugs in there, you know. And all of these things are proven to be wrong when they're in there. However, what they do learn in there quite often is that they learn that there's a new culture and actually it's positive. So that facility's there as well. Pay phones, so they have facility to ring home and, and also to any inspectors, ombudsmen, things like that. It's all free for them to, to use at any time. The success of the drug treatment units is on track. Corrections research shows the program reduces the rate of re-imprisonment by 13% after someone has been out of prison for two years. But one program which has had far more success was trialled in Canada more than six years ago. The correctional service there set up intensive support units. These are units where prisoners who want to stay off drugs and alcohol can go. It's separate to the main prison and doesn't include any specific addiction treatment programs. The inmates agree to a higher level of drug testing and it's had some very good results, as project manager David Varis explains. When they were released into the community, there was less likelihood for them to return back to prison. Some of the random drug testing results indicated that before the fellows went in, approximately 15% tested positive for drugs, but that fell to about 3% when the fellows were participating in the units. Research from the initial trial of the intensive support units shows a cost saving of more than 9,500 New Zealand dollars per prisoner. The units have now been expanded to all of Canada's 47 men's and several women's prisons, something Mr Varis believes could also be applied to other countries, like New Zealand, at relatively little cost. It's just a matter of locating or at least uh, isolating a a particular unit. The staff are already in place, so essentially there's no staff cost, no infrastructure cost. The only real cost that's involved is just drug kits because we do more frequent testing, but they're relatively inexpensive, especially when compared to the potential savings that could be realized with these units. Hi, come on in. My name's Roger, and uh, I've been asked to do an alcohol and drug assessment with you, so have a seat. But should the treatment for addiction start before many prisoners are recycled in and out of prison, continuing to re-offend in the community? What we're going to do is I'm going to ask you heaps and heaps of questions about, first of all, about your alcohol and drug history and background, how long you've been using, what, what you've been using, and how much you take. Um, Roger Brooking is an alcohol and drug counsellor in Wellington. Many of his clients come through the criminal justice system. If somebody went into prison taking a certain level of drugs, they don't have access to that particular drug in prison, so they detox, and then they come out back into the community and they think that they're still tolerant to the same level of dose that they were taking before, so they inject themselves, it's an overdose, and they're dead. This is part of the problem that happens when prison inmates are not given alcohol and drug treatment in the prison and then are released without being put into structured programs in the community. It's a scandal. Do you see a lot of your clients come out from prison and go back to an addiction and back to their old ways? This is a a sad question because it happens with, I would say, 90% of the people I see. I assess them, I tell the judge, I tell the lawyer, I tell the Corrections Department, this is what I think this guy needs. The lawyers usually do their best to try and get it happening. Sometimes the judges try really hard as well. 
but the system just does not seem to make it happen. He says more needs to be done for offenders before they hit prison. The courts are failing abysmally in terms of picking up the number of offenders that have alcohol and drug-related offending and getting them assessed. The statistics are fairly clear that you know, 80 to 90% of people going through the court have alcohol and drug problems, and those problems relate to their offending, but the statistics indicate, even with drink drivers, that only about 4 or 5% of them actually get told by the judge to do an alcohol and drug assessment. The alarming statistics are backed up by Sue Earle, a criminal defence lawyer in Wellington. She tries her best to get her clients an alcohol and drug assessment before sentencing if they face an addiction, but says it can often be hard work. Well, I would actually like to see an alcohol and drug worker in the courts, and if someone presents at court with an alcohol and drug issue, then that person be screened by the alcohol and drug worker to see whether further treatment or counselling is needed. All stand. John Walker is a judge based at the Wellington District Court. He was also instrumental in setting up the Youth Drug Court in Christchurch. Every judge would be endeavouring to identify and deal with underlying causes of offending. Uh, it, it must be clear to everybody, uh, judges, public, police, probation officers, that unless underlying causes are dealt with, um, the offending will continue. More victims will be created, more cost to the community, more disruption to families. In terms of addiction, how often would you see people coming before the court with some kind of drug or alcohol addiction problem? The impression that most judges have is that about 80% of people coming before the court uh, charged with offences have an alcohol or other drug dependency or abuse issue which is connected with that offending. So it's nearly every case and if you look at a list in the Lower Hutt District Court or the Wellington District Court where we might have uh, 50, 60, 70 people appearing in a criminal list day and multiply that throughout all of the district courts in New Zealand you get some idea of the scale of the problem. Judge Walker agrees with Sue Earle that there should be an alcohol and drug counsellor present in every court, just like there's a mental health worker in most courtrooms. And he says judges can make a difference to an offender who has an addiction and continues to re-offend. A judge exercising authority in the court, but at the same time showing a continued interest in dealing with an underlying cause, can be quite a powerful tool. Often offenders uh, can go through the court system, can go through life without people in authority expressing that sort of interest. Judge Walker says in order for this therapeutic approach to court to be successful, judges need to work with alcohol and drug counsellors and other experts to monitor the progress of an offender. But he says it will always be a challenge. People that are coming to the court with an addiction, that addiction started a long time probably before they uh, emerged into the criminal justice system. In a way, we're dealing with very entrenched dependencies by the time they come to court. You know, even in the youth court, uh, when I get an assessment for a young person uh, who is said to be dependent, often their dependency started at the age of 10. And we're seeing them at the age of probably 15. Uh, you know, it's very entrenched and we're playing catch-up. Judge Walker says there is a need for more drug and alcohol assessments and a greater availability of treatment options. 
and lawyer Sue Earle believes that would reduce the pressure on the entire prison system. We've got an ever-increasing prison population. We're building more prisons to cater for those people. Because of the larger numbers in prison, there are deteriorating conditions in prison. People are locked up more. If we actually looked at the treatment at the beginning, we may not need those new prisons, thousands more prison officers. We really need to start at the basics, and the basics are intervening at the beginning, putting in effective treatments and interventions, and the need for what we're doing now doesn't exist. Major Campbell Roberts from the Salvation Army agrees, saying drug and alcohol addiction needs to be nipped in the bud earlier on. Somebody comes in with a reasonably minor offence and ends up before the court, and uh, I think often the best thing that we could do actually with that person is provide them with help with their addiction because it's often the addiction that's actually driving the criminal offending. The Minister of Corrections, Damien O'Connor, says the government is trying to ensure those people don't fall through the cracks. We're working with police, with the courts, to better identify people who may have drug and alcohol problems when they first present, when they first come into contact with the justice system. And so we're working on consistent screening tools that will identify people with problems and then have a pathway to some assistance. And hopefully that might prevent them ending up with perhaps long-term prison sentences. But until that happens, Wellington Councillor Roger Brooking will continue to see cases like this one. I had a 17-year-old boy that I interviewed the other day. He was on remand in prison for a month. He'd been alienated from his family from the age of 13. He had nowhere to go. He was kicked out of prison, given about $350 in his steps to freedom, and told to report to a probation officer. What did he do? He went and got some alcohol, drank himself silly never bothered to turn up to the probation officer, committed some other offence and was back in prison within a month. And I come across this week after week after week. For those prisoners who are able to seek some help, like Jeff in the drug treatment unit in Christchurch, they will have a good chance of managing their addictions. I know from doing this programme I've got a better chance to, to um, keep on track. It's a place that I can uh, focus on what I want to achieve and um, have the support to do it. I think every inmate should have the chance to have some sort of reintegration opportunity like this. But many prisoners will never get that support, whether they don't fit the mould of drug treatment units or are placed on a long waiting list. So as the government begins its expansion plans for drug treatment units, it's clear this is just the beginning of what's needed to solve the high rate of addiction-based offending.